0: week the New York Times published a report with a headline that read reaching herd immunity is unlikely in the United States. Experts now believe. That was the headline. And I just I just stared at it like what? Well if we can't reach herd immunity we can't we can't get rid of the virus. So I read the story and The story said that due to new COVID variants that are now circulating, and because millions of our fellow Americans are still hesitant to get vaccinated, we may not reach the herd immunity threshold of 80%. In other words, 80% of us being fully vaccinated means we can contain the coronavirus. And now here's the New York Times saying that No, it's not going to happen. Meaning what? That the virus is going to be with us forever? And then the very next day, President Biden um, gave an address. He wanted to talk about the pandemic, and, and he wanted to tell us essentially what the Times had said. And looking at him, I just, I don't know. He didn't look the same as he's looked. And he said, look, we're just going to have to lower the expectations a bit. And I'm going, no, no. But let's try and get as many people, at least get one shot before the 4th of July. It was really, I don't know, personally, I was really crushed by it because I really thought it was possible we could convince enough people to get to this 80% of herd immunity, meaning you get both your shots if it's a two-shot vaccine. It's not just how many people have gotten one dose, even though it's, it, it is good to get one, but you want you want it to be 95% effective. You gotta get the second shot. And now what was going on? Was was Biden giving up? So I decided today to call up one of our uh, favorite people here on the podcast. She's been with us before. She's one of our great public health experts. And I've been so thrilled with how she's truly kept us informed during this pandemic. Her name is Lori Garrett, and maybe she can help explain just what is going on and what we must all do to spread the word about getting vaccinated and defeating this virus once and for all. Lori is a Pulitzer Prize winning science writer and one of our great pandemic truth tellers. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Lori Garrett. Lori, welcome back to Rumble.
1: Hi, Michael. Um, (laughs) That's quite a setup. (laughs) And uh, I guess I would, first of all, take issue with the way you frame the question, because Joe Biden's statement all along was, I'm going to get you back outside in the summer. And his most recent and very specific statement was, you know, I have more than exceeded the promises I made when I said 100 million vaccinated in 100 days, we got over 200 million, and we're now well over 200 million Americans have had at least one dose. Um, And I, says Joe Biden, want to see that get, you know, doubled, so that we can open up for the 4th of July. That's how he has framed it. Now, What does this mean and how is it relevant to herd immunity? These are two different things. What we're looking at right now is a president trying to weigh very divided interests in our nation and very disparate views by governors to come up with a set of strategic targets that he believes are attainable. And almost every time they hold a press conference in the White House, they reveal yet a new Another uh, government agency that's engaged or a new strategic plan or tactic of some sort, for example, uh, they just revealed a whole set of text messaging options that people can use to find out where is the closest free vaccine to wherever they're standing at the moment they text. So um, they're, they're trying to do everything they can to make it as easy as possible for everybody to get vaccinated. Now, separate question, will we attain herd immunity and what does it take to attain herd immunity? I think that's a moving target. I think it's, I've always said and I've written and published that uh, the search for herd immunity in the current context is uh, a false promise that we would never get there. Why won't we get there? Because First of all, the virus is evolving, so it's constantly changing. It's not changing as fast as, say, HIV changes, um, but it certainly is changing as rapidly as influenza does, and perhaps even more rapidly. And some of the new variants are very tricky. They do manage to lower the efficacy of the vaccines, Um, and it varies according to which vaccine you're looking at and which variant you're looking at, Some of the lowering of efficacy still leaves you very well protected. And in some cases, it's a challenge. The drug companies are already working on third doses that would specifically target the variants and make you better capable of withstanding whatever new uh, form of the virus evolution throws our way. Um, So, you know, that's part of the issue. The other part is that as long as the... A large percentage of the global population has no access to vaccine, none of us are safe. There's no such thing as isolated herd immunity. So, I mean, just get rid of this whole canard that, you know, Sweden could be herd immunity, whilst Mm. Denmark, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, you know, all their neighbors and all the rest of Europe was not. As long as you have mobility, and you have people going from one country to another, and by the way, we're opening all that back up again now, then you will have exchange of virus and and you will have movement of variant and alternative forms of the virus. So Americans may feel like, oh my goodness, I've got half the population in my town fully vaccinated. I can do whatever I want. But Just keep in mind that if you also want the people of your town to be able to travel and go on, use their passports to go overseas, you will see constantly different forms of the virus reintroduced into your community. And this will go on for years. So, um, you know, it would be swell if we could get 80, 90% of Americans to get vaccinated. Um, That would certainly increase the protection for everyone and lower the risk that we will engender our own forms of mutant viruses as we have done in both California and New York. Now, separate issue is, why can't we get 80% of the American people to get vaccinated, much less 90, 95? What we'd really like is to get as close to 100% as possible so we could be like Israel. Why can't we do that? Well, that's a whole separate issue that's entirely about politics. And uh, a sort of uh, auxiliary piece of it is is fear, people's fears. Fears are being whipped up by different forces in different ways, whether it's, you know, Tucker Carlson saying fear for the safety of your child, don't vaccinate, or it's, you know, somebody else saying fear that you'll get autism from a vaccine, whatever it may be. Fear is easily manipulated, and all vaccines conjure fear in a subset of the population. We always struggle with this problem. And that struggle has gone on since the earliest vaccinations, which in this country, the very first ones, were executed by order of George Washington to vaccinate the American rebel army against smallpox.
0: So do you think I'm asking the wrong question about uh, how do we get to 80%? To get to herd immunity, that that it's just impossible to do that, or are you saying it's obviously it's anything's possible, but we are humans and we are living with other humans, and it just isn't going to happen, whether it's because of politics or fear or whatever, and because I know, like in the in the small town in Michigan uh, where I live. Uh, people are talking about how how many people now are, are doubly dosed and are fully vaccinated, and, and we're, we're pushing towards 60%, and we're going to get to 70% fully vaccinated, as if our herd immunity in our little town is is the thing that's going to do it for us. And your point, if I got it right, is uh, not only <laughs> is this, we forget, the, we say the word pandemic, we have dropped the adjective global pandemic. Because it is a global pandemic, um, you cannot sit and watch the horror of what's going on in India and then try to self-satisfy with a sentence in your head that says, thank God we're not in India. Because the point, if I got your point right, is we're on planet earth, which means we are in India.
1: Well, you're right, Michael. I mean, in part, you understood what I was saying, but I would go a little further. I think, um, You know, way back when this all first started, back last January and February, I was saying to everyone that I was giving this epidemic a 36-month period of hell, uh, followed by the likelihood that we would have this virus in the human population as a permanent feature, just as HIV now is. Uh, And I, I think I was right. I mean... We've got a vaccine much more quickly than I anticipated, but getting that vaccine into arms all over the world, much less just in your your village, if you will, right. in Michigan, right uh, is is a huge task that we haven't even begun to address. I just finished writing an op-ed for uh, foreign policy regarding the president's decision to back off on patent protection for the uh, vaccines that are made here in the United States so that other countries could do technology transfer and make those vaccines. And my point is that, gee, it's swell to say now they're allowed to make the vaccines, but good luck finding nucleosides, good luck finding polymerases, good luck finding the, the appropriate acetates, phosphates, and other chemicals necessary because we're running out of everything. And even the vaccine makers that are rich, powerful, and based in America are facing constant stockouts on supplies. So we have a race going on and everybody wants access. And it's neat and tidy to blame things like patents for why we don't have a more widely available vaccine. But I mean, just this week, the CEO of the world's largest vaccine maker, which is not an American company, not a European company, It's a company based in India, in Pune, called the Serum Institute. And they not only make most of the world's vaccines, they make most of the vaccines Americans use. Everybody in the world uses. The CEO of that country just fled the country, relocated with his family to London after receiving death threats and threats from the government because of his failure to void out his contractual commitments to other companies, other countries to make their vaccines and simply turn his entire factory into a manufacturing site solely for Indians. Now, when you start getting to a point where the CEO of a powerful corporation in a country has to flee for his life because of an attempt to nationalize the vaccine supply at the risk of populations all over the rest of the world, you begin to realize what the stakes are we're not in you know a simple battle to uh you know make enough aspirin this this is a high stakes game the likes of which we've never seen before and it is affecting the world trade organization who every single g7 g20 you name it and as we go into the g7 summit uh in about what six weeks uh you're going to see a lot of screaming and yelling about this
0: so you, you're, you're, you're presenting another issue here that I hadn't even thought about, which is that even if we wanted to, say, make sure we have all the vaccines available for everybody, all seven and a half billion people on the planet, that, in fact, uh, we, we don't, the pharmaceutical companies at least, don't have the necessary ingredients and then what does that mean in terms of the booster shots they keep talking about or the other shots we're going to need for the various variants?
1: Well, let's just take a really simple thing. So if, you, if you're if you in the process of making vaccine and you have a little test tube on ice in bucket A mm-hmm. and a little test tube on ice in bucket B, and you need to get what's in test tube A in a given dosed amount into test tube B you use a thing called a pipette. Well it turns out the whole world is running out of pipette tips and all they are is these little tiny uh, pointy pieces of plastic that you stick the end of your instrument your pipette into those little tips make whatever you move from one place to another um, safe and non-contaminated because the tips are sterile. Well, we have a global shortage of those. And we could go through the list of every single step involved in making vaccines, and you will see supply stockouts galore. I mean, one particular thing that shocked me was a fire in just one small factory. I believe it was in the Philippines, though. Don't hold me to that. It might have been another country. But one fire in one factory meant that a certain kind of gasket needed on everybody's machinery for making vaccines suddenly ceased to exist and there was no alternative manufacturer in the world. Um, you know, this the fact that J&J's vaccine supply plummeted by 36% in one day because of the emergent solutions c- company scandal where they had contamination and they put the wrong things in the wrong tubes in their Maryland factory I mean, that shows you how vulnerable this all is. So when you start imagining, you know, that somebody in Chad or Ghana or uh, Ethiopia or Paraguay or Ecuador is going to suddenly open up a vaccine factory and start making a generic version of the Moderna vaccine, all I can say is I wish you good luck.
0: Wow, I was so happy when I heard that President Biden had lifted the you know copyright trademark restrictions. and then what you're telling me is, well, yeah, legally, uh, you can sign a piece of paper, but in fact, this is much more complicated, much more complex and and we're dealing with a a planet. like I said, if there's seven and a half billion on this planet, more than three billion of them of these countries are in poverty. And, and, and do not have the means by which to create a 21st century high-tech uh, vaccine. So what is the solution for this problem, both in the short term and the long term?
1: I think that what we need is a whole lot more um, global coordination and, and rational approach to all of this. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I'm thrilled, actually, that President Biden uh, decided to waive the patents and not just so much for the vaccines themselves, but hopefully that will apply down all the way down the food chain uh, or the supply chain. So let me give you an example. We know that the Moderna vaccine is less heat vulnerable than the Pfizer vaccine. So the Pfizer vaccine has to be in deep, deep, deep freeze right up until you thaw out a, a finite amount to put into syringes and administer to people. And by the way, we're running out of syringes, too. Um, Well, that's great. Um, It turns out the Moderna, the key, the difference between them is the way you make these mRNA vaccines is you make the mRNA first, and then you put the mRNA through this really quite mysterious process that involves very specialized machinery, which, believe me, is not available, this machinery, to say Ghana or Paraguay, right? But this very specialized machinery that makes these tiny little microscopic fat droplets called liposomes. And those liposomes encircle the mRNA and protect it. So now when it goes into a liquid uh, that is eventually going to be in a syringe that's eventually going to be in your bloodstream, these very fragile little pieces of mRNA, of, of genetic material, are protected inside these little fat balls. Well, it turns out Moderna's fat balls are more stable, at least to heat, than the Pfizer fat balls. So, you know, a long time ago, I was saying, well, why don't we just void that particular patent issue and, you know, compel Moderna, which is largely a creation of the United States government, overwhelmingly funded by the United States government Mm -hmm. with all of its vaccine tech having originated at the NIH. Why don't we just tell Moderna that they have to give over their liposome formulation and production technique to Pfizer so that the temperature requirements for the Pfizer vaccine uh, become less of a deal breaker in terms of transport and use? Well, you can imagine a lot of things in the chain like that where you could make a big difference. You could make more vaccine available to more people more easily. Uh, By um, taking care of some of these problems right now, CVS and Walgreens have been given, you know, the lion's share of these private sector contracts to go out and vaccinate people. And they're dumping thousands of doses every day because of the temperature issue and the lack of sufficient people in the queue that day to use up all the supply. That's crazy. That's right. nuts. nuts. I Meanwhile, well, right across the border in Mexico, they can't get anybody vaccinated. Right. What the heck is going on here? So if we want to really make a difference in this, we need a far more rational system of looking at the entire supply chain and delivery chain, not just, you know, do you have freezers and do you have electricity for those freezers? And can you be sure that your electrical supply doesn't have power outages? You're not in the middle of Mali. You're someplace where there's a steady electricity supply. Can you, can you solve those problems? Well, you know, it's much bigger than that. And so we need a, you know, almost like an Uber producer mastermind in charge. And we don't have such a thing. And it runs contrary to the whole way that our capitalist system is constructed, not just America but worldwide.
0: So if the profit motive was taken out and if we were if if the people running this had the uh, the ethics and the moral ethos of uh, Jonas Salk who said that his his vaccine for polio uh, would be free and available uh, to anybody and he would share this knowledge with anybody on earth Um, and was considered crazy almost at the time that he didn't want to make millions of dollars uh, off it for himself personally. So we don't have that now. We have a
1: different system. Well, Michael, let me interrupt you one second here. You know, the Russians are not doing it for Sputnik and the Chinese are not doing it for Sinovac. So it's not just capitalists that are refusing to, you know, (laughs) do technology transfer. It's
0: no, we nat-
1: have to put nationalism in the equation as well,
0: right? And I and plus, I personally, I consider both those countries capitalists. They just uh, call themselves uh, communists or something else, but they're it's a, they both have a form of what I call state capitalism, where they operate by the same crazy thing about not what's best for the people, but what's best for whoever owns the company, whoever's making the money, and now. You know, I have to ask you, and maybe you either have a solution for this or you don't, but I, but you just laid out um, some significant issues and also at the same time raising, anybody who's listening to this is thinking in their head, okay, wow, I'm glad I know that. Now, what can we do about it? What can we, we the people, and the people listening to this are your, maybe I would hope, your more active citizens, and would be more than willing to have their voices heard, or at least <laughs> they will They will call their member of Congress. Uh, they, they will post something online. But what can people do, what can I do to affect a change that clearly needs to happen? We've already left my original question about the herd immunity. Now we're on to this, and this seems even more sad, more frightening, that we can't get it together. And and what you're saying is it, it seems like we need a global czar, a really smart and caring person who has the ability to make decisions not based on profit, uh, but based on need and maybe a magic wand uh, in her or his hand.
1: Well, let's, let's step back a second and, and make it a problem that the average listener can handle. So one of the ways the best ways we as Americans can help the rest of the world is if we can just get over our mess as fast as possible and no longer put pressure on all the supply systems so that the rest of the world has access. Well, the best way we can do that is to tell every single friend, neighbor, coworker, everybody, you know, get vaccinated. Yes. And don't delay. And to not just tell them, but you know, Show them that you feel better about walking freely in the world, about being a citizen of the planet, and about being just someone who enjoys going outside because you have been vaccinated. And I think that what's been missing, you know, in the equation is just the average person convincing the other average person. We need to make it as crazy as it was to buy toilet paper in, in February of 2020, you know, why the heck did everybody run out to buy toilet paper? What was the big deal? But eventually, everybody felt the pressure from everybody else, and they all went running for toilet paper. If for no other reason than, gee, because all the other crazy people have gone for toilet paper, I won't be able to get any when I need it, so <laughs> I better go get it before it's all gone. Right. Well, you know, we had that pressure In the beginning of the drive to vaccinate. And folks like you and I, Michael, ran out as fast as possible to get our vaccines. We got frustrated because we weren't at the front of the line, because we couldn't figure out how to get vaccine because of the initial screw-ups that went on all over the country in the rollout. Now, that's the opposite problem. Now, we're dealing with folks who were in a wait-and-see mode. They want to see if folks like you and I that got it early, drop dead or something, grow horns or suddenly break out in weird rashes or have seizures on the floor or whatever. Um, And then once they're satisfied that that isn't happening on a large scale, there's a sort of, well, but what if it's the government imposing rule upon me and the government made this stuff so fast, maybe that's got impurities in it and Gosh, I'm just so nervous and so scared. And I don't think people will get who, who are in that box will get out of that box because Joe Biden tells them it's okay. They'll get out of that box because their next door neighbor tells them it's okay. Right. Because the teacher that they trust who takes care of their five-year-old tells them it's okay. Right. And their pastor tells them it's okay, and their rabbi, and their imam, and what have you. And, um, you know, that is now the challenge. That each of us has to understand that the reason to get vaccinated, yeah, part of it is to protect yourself. A one-person, one-protection issue. But the real reason is that you are part of a population And only if a substantial percentage of the population is protected is the whole population protected. And that means you have a duty as a citizen to stop measles by vaccinating your child. And you have a duty as a citizen to stop influenza by getting your vaccine. And you have a duty as a citizen to get your COVID vax.
0: And when they hear that from people they love, trust, work with play with live next door to um, boy i think i can i just underscore this point you made because i think everybody listening to this needs to understand that you are you are lebron james to the people that are in your life they they they, they trust you and and yes it's great that lebron and everybody is being very public about get get your shot and all that but i i think you're right i think when If the pastor says it, if your coworker says it, if your brother or sister are saying to you, you mean you haven't gotten vaccinated yet? Come on. No, it's okay. Nothing's going to happen here. Look at me. I'm walking around. It's okay. You know, Uh, yes, Trump was trying to push this really fast so he could get reelected. Well, maybe that ended up being a good thing for us. He didn't get reelected and we got the vaccine quick. So, you know, I don't... I think this is just such an important point you're making that each of us have that personal responsibility each of us have 5 10 50 people in our lives that we could be much more I mean I've started doing this I've just started you know just to, even like in the elevator I'll just I'll just try to make some nice talk with a a stranger and and then work it in before the doors open hey you you you're, you're vaccinated right or have you got vaccinated yet? No, you should do it. No, 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 no. There's no lines anymore. It's like literally walk into the Javits Center. Just walk in, you know, and it's, it, nobody's gotten mad at me. And I try to approach it, not in a shaming way, but, you know, in a kind of, come on, dude, let's do this.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting about this is that um, a lot of opportunities are starting to emerge. Particularly here in New York, because the governor has decided that we can reopen in two weeks, and uh, the mayor reluctantly is going along with it, though he would prefer a slightly longer timetable. Um, they just announced yesterday that Broadway theaters will be fully reopened in September. Uh, that the
0: that's the not true. Bro- that can't the be the
1: Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, no. The New York Yankees. No. The, the Queens, <laughs> Mets, um, all these can now pack the stadiums, pack the audiences. Um, the Metropolitan Opera is going to come back, mm. etc. cetera. Well, all of them are likely to request that you show a vac- vaccination card. Yes. I'm attending an event tomorrow that requires that I show that I've been fully vaccinated and provide proof of that before I can enter the event. Good. And it's an art event. Hmm. That uh, is annual and that I very much look forward to every single year. And
0: you don't mind taking your vaccination card?
1: Of course not. And what I suspect we'll see is that some percentage of the still unvaccinated will start to realize that they can go see their favorite sports team or uh, their favorite performance concert, whatever it is, if they're fully vaccinated. It's not so much that their employer may require it, though some employers may, um, but that they will feel out of it. Like they're missing a part of life by not having the freedom that full vaccination provides.
0: Is this true? I heard also the HIPAA laws. There's a, there's something in the HIPAA law that says that during a national crisis, like a pandemic, that uh, HIPAA doesn't uh, count. In other words, that I, as an employer, or I, as uh if I'm a theater manager or owner or whatever, I have a right to ask you whether or not you've been vaccinated. And you well,
1: that's our, that's have to tell already, me. That's already established, Michael, because school districts can request that regarding child vaccination and have been able to for a long time. Right. HIPAA, if you ask Donna Shalala, who actually wrote the HIPAA Act, um, when she was the Secretary of Health and Human Services under Bill Clinton. If you ask her, she will tell you that HIPAA has no application whatsoever to crisis and emergency situations such as we're in now.
0: Right, right. So it's not a violation of privacy. So so going back then to the original thought I had coming into this and why I really wanted to talk to you, because I got I got depressed when, and I, I love president biden i love everything he's been doing i like his whole way he's doing it and i just felt bad for him that he that if he felt like he had to throw the towel in on this 80 percent herd immunity and what you're saying is is that it's probably impractical to think that we're we'll ever get to anything like that but we shouldn't stop trying right i mean we should we should try Part of trying means we have to take care of our brothers and sisters around this planet and do whatever we can to help them. Don't be throwing doses away at, at Walgreens. We've got to have a better system to where people in Mexico can get the vaccine. But, but Or are you saying to me, I need to take a chill pill here on this herd immunity thing and just recognize I live in a particular country where a certain percentage of the population believes it's a hoax, will never change their mind. And therefore, we're just going to have to live with this like we do the common cold or the flu forever. And um, and we gave it our best shot. And it helped somewhat because we do see how hospitalizations are down. Deaths are down. That's got to be because there are, what did, what did you say, the number of fully vaccinated people right now in the country? Maybe close to 100 million, maybe?
1: Well, it's, a, it's about... Thirty-seven percent, I believe, of of eligible adults.
0: Okay, so we're close to forty percent of eligible adults. But then in this little town I'm talking to you about, I live in Michigan, where they, when they, when sixteen-year-olds could get it a couple weeks ago, um, and they set up uh, pop-up things at the high schools to give the kids uh, the shot. And all of a sudden, some right-to-lifers were like, "No, no, this contains fetal tissue. Blah blah. Uh, they, there has to be a permission slip from the parent for a 16 or 17-year-old to get the shot." And I like screamed bloody murder and said, "No, no, a 16 or 17-year-old has a right to decide. I want to live. You will give me the shot." And and they're like, "No, they're still children." And they have to have a permission slip from the parent. And I'm saying, yeah, but I live in this community and I want every 16 and 17 year old. I want every kid when it's time to be vaccinated. Am I, am I taking the wrong headed position on this? Should I not try to convince the school board to let 16 and 17 year olds who decided they want the shot, they get the shot and the parents don't have any say in it.
1: Well, I think that, um, you're, you're on the right track there, although, you know, if if people are raising the false information about the use of fetal tissue yes. to make these vaccines, that needs to be confronted in and of itself. Yeah, that's its
0: own problem. Right.
1: That's its own problem. Could, will you just um, take a, a moment? Will you,
0: yeah, will you just, for 30 seconds, explain that to people who, because they've heard it from relatives. Everybody has heard this fetal tissue thing, and and they need to be able to present them with the
1: facts. Well, we don't have to use fetal cells, stem cells, anything of that kind to make the mRNA that goes into the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, or to make the bits of uh, DNA that go into the adenovirus um, that is the carrier for the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine. These, it's completely unnecessary. In fact, the and, and it's not done. It's not done. There's just no connection whatsoever. The, the uh, genetic material is in most cases made either in bacteria or um, we've, we've seen similar genetic material. Actually, Cuba is working on a vaccine and they're making their genetic material in tobacco plants. Um, there's just no need to resort to fetal tissue and it's not done. So it's just completely false. And Tony Fauci has said this over and over till he's purple in the face, trying to make people understand. Sadly, um, the Catholic Church took a stance, uh, falsely claiming that, or at least certain parts of the Catholic Church did, falsely claiming that um, the Moderna vaccine was made in fetal cells, and this is simply not true.
0: Thank you for saying that. Um, Now, what about 16 and 17-year-olds?
1: Well um so here's where we are now we're uh the tests are going forward at uh, lightning speed to show that um we can use these vaccines in children younger all the way down to age 12 and likely to go all the way to infants eventually um and right now we know that they've been tested in uh 18 year olds uh and the vaccine tests that are underway so far using these products in um, the next sort of next notch down, the 17 to 15 year olds is going very well and unfolding quickly. And one set of preliminary data shows that the younger you are, the better the response to the vaccine so that, you know, an 80 year old might get 95% protection against hospitalization from two doses of Moderna. Well, a 15-year-old gets 100% protection.
0: Mm, wow.
1: So that's pretty darn good. You can't get better than that. Um, and I think as as we get communities seeing that having a certain level of immunization in the community lowers the risk for everybody, then school districts are going to recognize that a lot of the issues they have with their teacher teachers' unions um, – with the janitorial staff, with um, all the folks that are part of making a school a reality, uh, will evaporate as uh, the kids themselves are vaccinated and the teachers are vaccinated and the risk to everybody drops down to zero.
0: So so how far off are we from uh, getting elementary school uh, students and uh, the rest of junior and senior high school, middle school? How far away are we from that?
1: Well, all the tests are underway now, and the speed and how close they are to going to the FDA for emergency approval varies by product, depending on how recently they you know, unfolded these tests.
0: So you're optimistic in terms of uh, the trials are going well, uh, we're going to see younger and younger children uh, being vaccinated.
1: And it can't come a moment too soon because yes. Yes. the other thing we're seeing is younger and younger Adults ending up hospitalized uh, because they haven't been vaccinated. And so one of the sort of uh, obvious things that's going on right now is the critical mass of infected people over 60 has all but vanished in most communities. The communities where we still have a substantial number of over 60-year-olds carrying virus are, you know, in the states that have been the least likely to lock down and the least likely to make vaccine widely available. But in most parts of the country, we no longer see seniors as spreaders of disease. So it's going down in age group, but that means that people spread to their peers. So, you know, when you're the typical 35 year old doesn't hang out with 80 year olds, the typical 35 year old is out partying and drinking beer and having a good time with other 35 plus or minus year olds. So what we're seeing is that the epidemiology is shifting downwards as the older generations get vaccinated. And so you just have a critical mass of a virus circulating in younger and younger groups and a greater percentage of them is turning up in hospital. And one of the things that's been noted with some of the variant strains is that they do seem to be associated with more illness in youthful populations and even in children. So uh, the UK says the B one one seven variant that they see is sending more young adults to hospital. And in many states in the United States right now, the age of the hospitalized population has plummeted.
0: And is that because the virus needing to find a host is finding fewer and fewer hosts in their 60s and 70s and 80s? So it's looking for someone who's not protected, somebody who's not vaccinated.
1: And it probably also means that the super spreader events that were occurring among older adults have ceased because they are vaccinated. Right. So, you know, the kind of thing that was a nursing home explosion... Those events are no longer the super spreader events. The super spreader events are all too often associated with drinking. So it's bars, it's big parties, it's, um, you know, let's all go to the beach, drink a pile of beer together because alcohol is disinhibiting. And so you might have arrived at the event wearing your mask and thinking carefully about COVID, but two or three beers later, the mask has disappeared, and COVID is the last thing on your mind.
0: So, so if we do these things, and if we encourage the people we know in our lives to get vaccinated, um, I assume we should still indoors wear masks, uh, especially if you're not vaccinated yet. But um, I guess if we're if we're vaccinated, do we need to wear a mask indoors? Still, is it generally just for safety? Why not? I see President Biden. He even got asked this. Why are you still wearing a mask? You're vaccinated. And he said, because I've always believed in an abundance of caution. I love that term. <laughs> so, And I thought, hmm, well, maybe even though I'm vaccinated when I'm outdoors, uh, uh, if I'm in anywhere, if I'm on a crowded sidewalk or whatever, I'm going to wear that mask. Is that crazy? Or should we still be doing that?
1: My personal choice, and this is nothing more than that, but my personal choice is if I am outdoors in a setting where there's no one within six to 10 feet of me and I'm out getting exercise, walking around in an open park area, something like that, I can remove my mask because I'm fully vaccinated. I'm unlikely to be transmitting in an outdoor setting. Transmission is low outdoors to begin with. But if I am going on the subway, if I am walking down a crowded street, uh, if I'm going inside of a public building, you bet I have my mask on. Why do I have my mask on? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, I feel a duty to be sure that I am not a carrier who can bring virus to others. So, um, You know, we do see some studies, uh, preliminary, but they exist, that show that the virus can colonize in the nose of someone who may be partially vaccinated. So you don't know what level of immunity you personally have. You just know what the statistical range of levels of immunity is for your particular vaccine. But you don't know how that applies to you personally. It's possible that I could carry virus in my nose that it would have no effect on my health, but that just by b- exhaling I could pass it to others. Mm. So I feel a, a responsibility, even though that may be a very, very, very remote possibility. I feel a responsibility to wear a mask to protect people from that that possibility, that option, mm. what have you. The other is um, just from the point of view of myself and my protection. There are variants circulating out there and I really would hate to find out that I'm one of those, you know, people who has been fully vaccinated but my immune system can't tackle a particular variant strain that ha- I happen to come in contact with on the subway. So, I wear a mask.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so an abundance of caution is not a bad thing. No. Right.
1: And wh- what the heck is the problem with wearing a mask? We're, I mean, we're I, all
0: kind of used to it by now.
1: Yeah, if we're not used to it by now, I give up.
0: Right. right. So so if we did these things, if we get our friends and neighbors and churchgoers and everybody vaccinated, if we still are take precautions to occasionally, sometimes, especially around other people, wear a mask, um, if we do these things, why can't we get... To 80, 85, 90 percent. Why Why can't, set aside the politics. Set aside that. Let, let's say Donald Trump buys a half hour of TV and says to MAGA Nation, look, I got vaccinated. You know, this could just be a, a crock of shit, I don't know. But I'm vaccinated, you should be too. And, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a big increase. And now, now we're at 80, 85 percent. Uh, and the last 15% are people who are just, at least I'll say just out of respect for them, legitimately afraid, even when they don't need to be. But I understand I have compassion for them and their their fears. Um, nonetheless, we're at 80 or 85%. Why can't we get there? If we did these things you suggested, if we did that, and, I, and realizing that that doesn't just make us safe if if Mexico isn't safe. If South America isn't safe, if India isn't safe, we have to take care of everybody. We have to be part of that process. But if we did that, is that my asking for too many ifs here? Because I just, I, I mean, I'm not usually thought of as a Pollyanna type person, but I, I just kind of want to believe there's something in human beings that says I want to live. and And eventually, you know, that's why the number of smokers is way down. That's why a whole lot of things are down. Because that's why McDonald's keeps adding new salads. Why? <laughs> These are people going to McDonald's and yet they still have more salads because they, they've they seen that just a slight more percentage of people going to McDonald's want to live and they want to eat a salad. And so they provide the salads now. Why can't, why just, I mean, I'm okay, you won't hurt my feelings if you say I'm just if I, I'm, I'm just uh, dreaming here and that's never going to happen. So, Mike, focus your attention on some other problem like universal daycare or, you know, whatever. Just this isn't going to happen.
1: The COVID situation is going to be a permanent part of the human landscape for generations to come. We won't eradicate this virus. It won't disappear from the planet. In large part, because not only is it infectious to human beings, but it's infectious to a really long list of animal species. So unlike smallpox, for example, which we have eradicated, smallpox only infected humans. There is no other animal on earth that gets smallpox. As a result, if we just vaccinated all humans, the virus had no host and it disappeared. and we could do the same for uh, a handful of other viruses for the because they are so restricted in their host range. But coronaviruses are sloppy. they fit into very ubiquitous channels. And in this case, we have a virus that attacks what's called the ACE2 receptor, which is a uh, cardiovascular moderating receptor on cells in all mammals. All mammals.
0: All mammals. So
1: you can look at a ferret, you can look at a mouse, you can look at a gorilla. They all are potentially susceptible because they have ACE2 receptors. So that is how the virus, that's the lock and key mechanism the virus uses to get inside of cells and make copies of itself inside of your body. That means that we have to take a very adult approach. We have to wake up and stop looking for you know, this miracle of complete herd immunity that Wall Street is so addicted to and recognize that it's going to be more complicated than that. If, you know, we don't know how long, for example, even the excellent immunity that I have from two doses of the Moderna vaccine will last. It may be that I'm protected for life, such as the case with good uh, yellow fever vaccines, or it may be then I have to go back and get another round of injections in two years or four years or whatever it may be, because the virus will still be out there, but my immunity may wane. We don't know the answer yet. We won't know until we start seeing the immunity decaying in people. So far, uh, the first people that were involved in the original vaccine trials are still showing strong immune responses. So, you know, that takes us out to last June and July, meaning we're almost at a one-year point and there's still, still durable immune response. That's good news. But we need to be adults about this and understand that we're going to live in a world with a new threat in it, and that threat is now permanent. It will be out there for our children and our grandchildren, possibly even our great-grandchildren. And so we have to be smart about how we live on the planet and how we interact with each other to minimize the possibility that we will uh, acquire a lethal infection. Now, if everybody makes getting routine vaccinations part of their life, just as they do for tetanus and uh, diphtheria and so on, then the, the actual risk to any given individual will be extremely low. Mm -hmm. Extremely low. We have to get first to the point where we have sufficient numbers of Americans immunized that we can turn our machinery of vaccine production and education and, uh, you know, syringe production and all the things that are involved in making vaccination doable. We have to be able to turn that to other countries, needier countries. Let's start with our immediate neighbor, Mexico and get Mexico fully vaccinated, or as close to it as is possible, given political and social constraints. Um, And if we can start to get to a point where sufficient percentage of the global population is protected, uh, then we'll be in a world like, oh, I suppose not quite as great as the polio world. But let's look at it from that point of view for the sake of argument. I think I was, the last time I was on with you, I mentioned the great fight between Salk and Sabin Mm -hmm. regarding polio vaccines, because Salk famously invented the first polio vaccine, but it had to be injected. And as it turns out, an injected polio vaccine protects the individual from ever getting the disease, but does not, does not sterilize virus out of their body. And so- It turned out a lot of kids who got the first round of polio shots were still carriers of virus and passed it in their feces and to other kids. And so the famous swimming pool problem, right? Well, then Sabin came along and said, that's because the virus colonizes in your gut. And what we need to do is use uh, an oral vaccine that will sterilize virus out of the gut and the GI tract. And if we do that, then we will actually be able to eliminate virus from an entire community. And by doing that, we effectively eliminated polio from almost every single place on planet Earth, except two really tough last stands, uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. And I don't know, given the fatwas Mm. issued by uh, the Taliban and so on if it will ever be possible to get rid of the last remnants of polio in human beings in those two countries. Um, so as a result, we all live with polio still out there. Um, it's not going to kill you and it's not going to cripple you anytime, probably at all. And anytime for your family or your kids, unless of course we all slack off on vaccination and in 10 years, it turns out that you know, nobody in America is vaccinated against it of a certain generation anymore, and then all it takes is one case being introduced, and it could take off again. So we live with that threat, and we're okay with it, and we manage it reasonably well. I think it's conceivable that in a few years, we could obtain, attain something not quite quite that level, not to the point where it's only in two countries, but where a very small percentage of the global population are carriers and the rest of us are amply protected and we're able to coexist with the virus.
0: So don't give up. Don't give up on getting vaccinated and getting others in other countries vaccinated, all that.
1: On the contrary, go full speed ahead. Full
0: speed ahead. then, uh, then, uh, Then really what I'm just dealing with personally, listening to you, is a certain i don't know what the word is actually i don't know if it's a sadness or it's just a funk of hearing that i've got to live with this for the rest of my life i'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life and then i was trying to as you were just finishing there saying what you said uh whatever that mechanism is in our brains that prevents us from going into deep despair uh this thought came in my head well you know mike You know, you're supposed to go to the dentist at least twice, maybe even three times a year to have your teeth cleaned. And that just, you know, as you get older, you just realize, you know, when you're younger, you don't worry about that, but you should. And then you realize, oh, this is a good idea to have these teeth cleaned on a regular basis. And that just becomes part of life. I don't bemoan it. I don't say, why do I have to go do this? You know, my teeth should just operate and just fine for 100 years. It, you know, but it doesn't work that way. Is that what you're sort of saying that this is well, this will become part of what we call normal life? Um, it lives with us. It's a living thing. It's a creature on this earth. And and so that we're not horribly affected by it. There are certain things we're probably going to have to do for possibly the rest of our lives. Is that am I putting that the right way? Is that it? or am I just trying to help myself out of my own funk?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's a little of both. Um, we're all in a funk, and we'll probably stay in a funk until we feel like we're um, able to enjoy our life without limitations. Uh, but, you know, the truth is, we've been living with limitations since the day we were born. Unless you grew up a real brat in a pretty crazy household... You know you can't just pick up a fork and stab it in the arm of the person sitting next to you. You are limited. You know you 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 know you're supposed to put on a seatbelt and you're supposed to wear a helmet. And yes, you should see your dentist twice a year and you need to get a colonoscopy as soon as you turn forty. And you need to get reading glasses sometime in your forties <laughs> and on and on and on. You know and then these are all just you know watch your cholesterol and this and that and. I don't think it's a coincidence that men are less likely than women to do almost all those things. You know, it's always been the bane of every uh, public health practitioner that men are less compliant mm-hmm. with self-interested public health efforts than women are. Women are more inclined to, you know, get their pap smear every year and their mammography every couple of years and on and on and on and Men are more likely to say, eh, let it slide. Uh, we're seeing that. You're, you're
0: saying that we're kind of obvious about that sort of thing. Is that, yeah. Is that, yeah. But, it's
1: like, it's not even, there's not even debate. No, I mean, there, it's, no. It's there, just an absolute <laughs> given. There's, it's
0: such a given that, that the data proves the average woman in this country lives three to four years longer than the average man. And doctors will say part of that is, is that you can't get the guy to come get a physical, get checked up. He feels that something's wrong and he puts it off and then boom, it's stage four and it's too late. Well,
1: and so no surprise, adult men are far more likely to refuse vaccination right now than adult women.
0: So I, so I have this idea in my small town of like saying to the bar owners and people I know, let's, let's all like, I I run, I have two new movie theaters and uh, nonprofit movie theaters I run in this uh, town uh, I'm I'm gonna am I'm gonna start handing out free movie tickets to anybody who comes in and shows their vaccination card, and I said to one of the bar owners, why don't you offer free drinks? I mean, literally, it's if you show your vaccination card, uh, uh, Monday through Thursday, whatever, it's free drinks. I mean, I don't know. We need to like, especially for men, reach out in ways. I love how the Yankees and the Mets are now go to the game, get a shot at the game. You get free tickets for future Yankee games. This is such a great idea. And I mean, or do you think it's wrong that you have to bribe, especially guys uh, to do these sorts of things? I'm all for bribery right now because I want to get everybody vaccinated.
1: Well, you know, whatever it takes uh, short of, you know, the sorts of things that were done to stop smallpox in the world. I mean, you know, one of the bad chapters but true mm. of smallpox eradication is that in several countries people were vaccinated at gunpoint. Yeah. And and that was done because those governments had very low credibility with their societies. Yeah. But you know, it is interesting that men have to be quote unquote bribed to use your term to protect their own lives. That blows my mind. Yeah. Not a lot of women have to be quote unquote bribed to, to to protect themselves and for no other reason than the big motivator for a lot of women to look after themselves to get their cancer checkups and so on is i need to be here for my children and mm, it's surpri- yeah. it's surprising to me and it's not in any way unique to the united states or to american culture it's surprising to me that that kind of drive is not the same for men
0: do you mind just uh, if we could just pause for a second i need to Acknowledge our wonderful underwriter uh, for today's episode, as if that's okay. That underwriter is Gabby. Uh, Gabby, uh, it's G-A-B-I, is not an insurance company. Uh, Gabby is here to help save you from giving too much of your money to insurance companies. I'm talking about auto insurance and, and homeowners insurance. And you know what Gabby means? It means get a better insurance. Gabby is a free service, and it's easy to use. You enter your current insurance information to get started, and in just a few minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Gabby gives you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers people write and they say, I saved $700. I saved $800. I've saved $900. Some people have written to say, Hey, I'm glad I I took the the test there with Gabby because I found out I'm actually paying the right amount at, at my insurance company. And you get to learn that too. That can happen, but you have a good chance of saving some money here by just letting Gabby find out if what you're paying now is right or if it's wrong. So this is a totally free service and there's no obligation. So go to Gabby.com slash rumble. That's G-A-B-I, Gabby, G-A-B-I.com slash rumble. I also want to thank our other underwriter today and that's ExpressVPN. You all know that by using ExpressVPN to protect your online privacy from big tech companies is a very good idea. Now, I know some of you use incognito mode and you think that will protect you, but it's probably not as incognito as you think. And why would it be? Incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product and Google has made its fortune by tracking your movements online. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit right now against Google in California where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. And what's Google's defense? Uh, Incognito does not mean invisible. (laughs) Yeah, that's how they're hoping to win this. So listen, my friends, how do you actually make yourself invisible? I mean, truly invisible online? You have to use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is super easy to use no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. So, visit expressvpn.com/rumble and get 3 extra months for free. That's express, e x p r e s s v p n expressvpn.com/rumble. They're good people. They support my voice and they support this podcast.
1: felt like one of the most important forms of camaraderie uh, probably programmed in our DNA is sports and Mm -hmm. that the way that people come together around a team or an individual and uh, the prowess and the wonder of superior athletic performance, you know, watching a LeBron James uh, make it all the way down the court in like four leaps, you know, and then shoot a three pointer from halfway down the court that's that's something we all get excited about and we all enjoy that and i used to have courtside nicks tickets and and i remember that the feeling that no how the pity i felt for television viewers that they would just never know how extraordinary an experience a a truly glorious professional basketball game is, if they never really get a chance to sit courtside and watch the wonder and feel the cheering and feel the floor shake and and the music resonating and the whole darn experience. Well, guys, if you want that again, you need to get vaccinated. If you want to go back and cheer for your favorite Green Bay Packers or, uh, you know, whatever is your team for your New York Yankees or your Boston Red Sox, uh, whatever it is that th- you thrills you, you know that it, it's more exciting when you're in a group, and it's more exciting when you're there courtside or the equivalent thereof. And you, you know, if you're gonna do that, if you want to feel that experience again, you have to get vaccinated.
0: And I'm okay offering the free movie tickets, right? If you, if you, you're
1: absolutely okay. That's a good. Offering the that's a good
0: idea. Tickets. Yeah, yeah. I just. It's not much. It's something I could do. I don't know what else uh, to do, but I want everybody as, as we bring this part of the episode here to a close. I just want everybody doing what they can with their family members, friends, neighbors, co workers, students in, in class. Uh, let's all just get on board this train. Uh, life is, you're going to, what you said earlier, after I got that second shot, and I knew I had to wait three weeks before it was 100% effective. I, I marked that calendar. I marked that date on the calendar. And man, when that day came, I felt like it was Christmas day. I felt like it was like my birthday. I felt so good.
1: You know, I've, I Michael, for years, um, a group of us that are wine lovers and like really, really extraordinary wines have come together about every six weeks in a rotation of whose household. And we pick a theme of some type of vintage or a, a wine growing region or whatever, and we pair food with it and we enjoy each other's company and great wine and great food. And for months, the poor substitute was we were all on zoom drinking by ourselves on camera <laughs> <Right. and laughs> sampling one wine instead of 10. Right. And, uh, you know, nibbling at one little hunk of cheese. When we finally, the entire wine group got vaccinated, and was outside that three-week window where they we could meet together. And we actually sat down together and we were able to sit in one place, break bread, drink wine, enjoy each other's company. It was an ecstatic experience. Yes. I can't even begin to tell you how much joy it brought, not just to me individually, but to everybody involved. It was we all left after an extremely lengthy and well imbibed evening and you know as the midnight hour hit and everybody's cheeks were rosy and we could we could for the first time express the joy together face to face I mean we were just it was like seventh heaven it was like we had our first meal after weeks of starvation
0: Yes I I had a similar experience and it was I, I i wish i could just everybody who's listening to this if you've put off getting a shot getting the two shots or worse you went and got your first shot but now you haven't gone you've you've missed your date on your second shot you're gonna i'm telling you you're gonna it will feel like something that i can't describe over this microphone but you will write to me and you'll say damn mike you and Lori, the way you describe that it sounded so you know like pie in the sky but it was exactly how i felt you will feel this way and um for everybody who wants to quote get back to normal that that it seems like such a small part of normal to sit around and break bread and share some wine but oh my god you we've missed it for so long you've missed it for so long and and uh you should have that back now will broadway open in september i'm sorry i can't I don't know why these are politicians. They want to get reelected or they've got other problems in the news, but whatever. Um, Some of this stuff, Lori, they're promising people. I don't want to get people's expectations up so high. Like they think we're going to pack ourselves like sardines in a few months in a Broadway theater. I just, I don't don't know. Is that wrong to hold that out? Things like that. I don't know.
1: On the other hand, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a avid Brooklyn Academy of music. Bam. Yeah. Uh, aficionado and donor, and I go to everything I p- possibly fit in my schedule. Well, of course, there's been nothing to fit in my schedule for months. And Bam's first actual in-person event was, uh, at a ice skating rink in a Brooklyn park. And it was a, a group of really avant-garde ice dancers who came down from Quebec. Uh, leave it to the Canadians to have really <laughs> hip. Super artistic, avant-garde ice dancing. (laughs) Uh, And we did all sit, you know, far apart from one another to observe the event, but it was just so joyous to actually have live performance again with a fellow audience. At one point, an individual did a triple axel in Olympic (laughs) level, triple axel, and To be in a group, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering this right now. Mm -hmm. To be in a group where I could audibly hear everybody else go, "Ah!" at the same time as I did, Mm. a whole outdoors group going. "Ah!"
0: In the middle of Brooklyn.
1: In the middle of Brooklyn.
0: Entertained by Canadians. Thank God for the Canadians. You know, I think we are better off as a people that they are next door. And if they were to somehow break off and float over to become part of scandinavia or something we would be the worse off for it I, I just wanted to throw that in there to the canadian listeners thank you
1: you're gonna start forcing me to sing uh blame canada <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man Lori garrett um wow um well we have not achieved herd immunity during this uh, uh episode as i had uh, intended but Um, You've really cleared up a lot of things and you've and you've made the medicine go down a bit easier, understanding that these are the facts we have to face. We're adults. um, We're not stupid and and we can do the best we can and we can make it better and we shouldn't slow down. Just it's not about 70. And I think the woman who runs the CDC, uh, Walensky, I saw her say this uh, this morning. uh, We're not saying slow down. She said just what you said, full speed ahead. Uh, 70%, we're just trying to say, hey, if we can get to July 4th, everybody's got one shot by then, or 70% do, great, we'll take it and we'll move on. Move forward, in other words, not move on as in, well, we'll just forget about getting past that. She said, no, we want to get far past that. But I think like you said, and I think the most important thing you've said here in this episode, is that really is on us. This isn't on our senator. Or our congressman or congresswoman. This is on each of us to get the people in our lives vaccinated, and for us to continue to show some respect for ourselves and others by, you know, keeping the mask on for some time, a bit longer. Just, you know, it's it's uh, not killing us. Um, if we do these few things, maybe we'll we'll be in better shape. But but I don't want it lost what you've said about. Um, how complex it is and how things could go off the tracks very easily with the production of these vaccines for possibly new vaccines or boosters or whatever we're going to need in the future, that we have to be on high alert, uh, all hands on deck. Um, and and we have to care about our fellow human beings and animals uh, that are part of this earth. So that's a, that's a big job. That's a big, big job. Um, but you don't sound depressed or pessimistic. Uh, and
1: let, 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 me, let me give you one yeah. last yes, takeaway. Please. You and I are old enough that when we were children, people smoked cigarettes in the movie theater and we would try to watch the movie through the smoke. Through the smoke, right. You and I are old enough that people could light up a cigarette in the elevator. That's right. And if you said something like could you please not smoke, I'm not a smoker, they, they could say all sorts of invectives against you and right. uh, threaten you. Right. And you had no right to make such a None. request. Um, today we live in a world where that has flipped entirely, where the individual who smokes and exposes other people to that cigarette smoke is disdained by society at large is likely to uh, face the possibility of some penalty or fine in their community for doing so, and where it's generally understood that cigarettes are a risk and a danger not only to the smoking individual, but to the community around that individual. And one of the things that made that huge switch in our perspective about do we have a libertarian right to smoke versus the risk that I'm imposing on others around me? Um, One of the things that contributed to that was education about tobacco risk in elementary schools and all those kids who went home and said, Daddy, I wish you would stop smoking. Mm -hmm. Mommy, I don't want you to die of cancer. Please stop smoking. And recognition by the parent In those equations, well, I might not quit just because my kid said that, but I probably shouldn't smoke at the kid and force the kid to be exposed to my fumes, Mm. my cigarette toxicity. Um, You can go down a long list of things, public health interventions, where our our entire perspective has changed dramatically uh, to the point where... If you see somebody not wearing their seatbelt in a vehicle, there's a, you know, a a sense of alarm. You can't even get in an Uber vehicle and not put your seatbelt on or the driver's likely to say something to you. Um, So I think it is possible. We're in a terrible moment that's been fueled by populism, nationalism, um, tremendous divisiveness and social media insanity where... A lot of uh, classic do's and don'ts are cast aside amid ideological squabbling and so on. But I remain ultimately optimistic that just as we could conquer the tobacco lobby, and we are conquering the petrochemical lobby vis-a-vis climate change, and we can conquer other very powerful interests uh, that get fueled by libertarians and so on. I do think, eventually, with this virus, uh, sanity will prevail and the vast majority of the sort of social agenda will be, this is the appropriate way to live on planet Earth vis-a-vis COVID-19. Will we get there by the 4th of July? I don't think so, except in, you know, Democrat bubble communities. But I do think that as kids go back to school, and they learn more about the virus at school, and they bring home messages. Just as they say to mommy and daddy, please don't smoke, maybe they'll be saying, mommy, would you please get vaccinated?
0: Mm, I hope so. That is how it happened with smoking and other things where uh, the children taught their parents, and it helped move us, it moved us forward. And uh, thank you for Pointing that out, I think that's so important. And thank you for giving me this extra time here on Rumble today. Uh, It's uh, greatly appreciated. I appreciate the other times through this uh, past year or so that you've been with us uh, to help guide us. Um, I've been talking to Lori Garrett, Pulitzer Prize-winning science writer and global public health expert her books in the past here include the coming plague betrayal of trust the collapse of the of global public health and ebola story of an outbreak uh, from 2014 thank you for being uh, ahead of the curve on this thank you for your continued work on it and we hope to uh, talk to you again thank you hey everybody um before we leave i want to speak to anybody who's listening who hasn't been vaccinated, or to those of you who have a relative, a friend, neighbor, co-worker, who hasn't been vaccinated and hasn't been vaccinated because they're, they just don't like the idea. They don't feel good about it. It doesn't sit right in their brain. They're afraid, you know, they've read stuff online that seems to tell them that uh, this is not a good idea. Now, I'm not talking to the Trump loyalists. I doubt that they're even listening. Uh, people who are not getting their shot because they believe Donald Trump, who, by the way, got two shots. Um, but I'm not going to try to unpack that or sort that out because, you know, you're, you're not getting a shot because the guy who got his shots told you not to get a shot. Uh, it's some kind of Democratic hoax. I can't do anything about that. It's okay, I, I'm, I can let it go. But for those of you not getting a shot, because I don't, maybe you have an autistic child or your sister does, or you know any of a number of reasons where you're saying to yourself, why take the risk? I'm a healthy person, I have a great immune system. Uh, one person said to me, um, you know what? I've never gotten the flu. I've never gotten a flu shot and I've never gotten the flu and my kids growing up and to this day as adults never have had the flu and I think that's a good point you know, that's there's a virus they've got a great immune system in that family and probably not going to get COVID maybe they will, maybe they won't I mean, I don't but I understand why then they think why would I risk a shot that's so new for a virus that we've never seen on earth before. And so they don't get vaccinated. You don't get vaccinated. I know some people aren't getting a shot for religious reasons. They've been told by certain preachers, certain parts of the Catholic Church, as Lori pointed out, and then just passed it around that somehow they used cells or tissue or whatever from aborted fetuses in this vaccine. Man, the wacky stuff from these last years that we've had to listen to and how the internet has spread it around like it's truth. And it's so scary and so dangerous. And it's it's hurt us so badly as a country. So I know some of you have read that stuff and believe it. And I guess what I want to say to you as we close is that, and I mean this very sincerely, We don't know each other personally, you know, but I know you're listening to me. And so, you know, a little bit about me, who I am, I think by now. So I just want to tell you that, um, I care about you. I want to tell you that I love you. I love you for the human being that you are, for the American that you are, if you're American if you're listening to this in another country and you haven't gotten vaccinated, I I, I love you for all your Frenchness and your Germanity and your uh and your Italianness. Wherever you are, Uruguay, are you listening? Wherever you are, you know, like we said here, this is, we're not going to we're not going to ever get rid of this unless we treat this globally. But I'm just not talking globally right now. I'm talking to you. You. You're listening to me right now and you have not gotten your vaccine. Or there's someone in your family who hasn't done it. And you just feel sick about it. We've lost enough people. That report this past week from the University of Washington that it's not... 500 or 600,000 who've died in the U.S. It's almost a million, the real number. The real number is almost a million. Do we want to see another million die? For what? What are you dying for? Why do you want to take the stand? Well, because you're saying to yourself, because I don't want to die from the vaccine. You're not going to die from the vaccine. Nobody, I don't know, you don't know, none of us and this yes of course because I was in like the third group I got to watch to see how many of the first two groups who got their vaccination how many of them dropped like flies answer none so there's no reason to do this and I don't want you to die so when I say I love you and I care about you I really do mean that we're not better off we're not better off with you dead we're better off with you alive and and, and Lori's right. Each of us have this responsibility to reach out to everybody we know and ask them if they've been vaccinated. And if not, to encourage them. Don't mock them. Don't deride them. Hold your hand out to them and say, what can I do? I so want you to do this. I want you to set an example for the kids. I want you to, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't almost insist that you come with me. You don't need an appointment anymore. You can walk into any of these drugstores, any of these centers, even your own doctor. The last person I talked to this week who got vaccinated, they just went to their doctor, got the shot. I don't know what else to do. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I, I am gonna think of some things I can do in this in the small town in Michigan, where I, where I am, uh, to help encourage people to get vaccinated I, I I will. I am going to do something. I'm going to offer something uh, as my show of gratitude that they went and got vaccinated. So, but I really I couldn't live with myself if I didn't keep insisting to everybody to do what they can to convince others to get vaccinated, or if you haven't been vaccinated, to do it yourself. And if you are a Trump supporter and that's why you're doing it, come on, man. I don't want you to die. I'm not sitting here, oh, yeah, 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 let this just let all the Trump supporters die off from this. No, first of all, no, you can't die on me. I want to beat you fair and square in in 2022, in 2024. If you leave me now, you don't give me the chance to do that. Or, Or look at it the other way. If you leave now, you can't kick my ass anymore. You know how bad you want to kick my ass. You know how bad you want to put the house back in the hands of the Republicans and make sure the Democrats never get the Senate. That's your job. Next year it's your job. Why would you why would you risk getting so sick that you won't be able to vote or or that you'll be dead? Why would you risk that? When you can bring back Trump in 2024? You not getting a shot (laughs) tells me that you're not so sure he's ever going to come back, that you can't help him come back. So if you do die, no biggie. Come on, man. Stay alive. We're Americans. You know, the fight used to be a good thing. We used to enjoy the fight, the political fight. I believe this, you believe that let's take it to the people and see what they say I know we live in a different time now but for all the rest of you who aren't not getting the shot because you're afraid man if you could just if I could just kind of virtually reach out right now through however you're listening to this on whatever device or whether it's your earbuds or your um your computer if I could just reach out right now and hold your hand and say, Come with me. Come on, let's go. Most places are all, they're all walk in now. Let's just walk in. Let's go to the CVS. Let's just walk in there and do this right now. I'll sit there with you. I'll tell jokes. I have some funny jokes I could tell you. Or if you could just imagine me being there with you. After you do it, Call up, you know, there's a a little link here on the podcast page, on the platform page where you're listening to me. There's a link where you can send me a voicemail. It's a one-minute voicemail. I listen to every voicemail. And and I, I send me a voicemail. Send me it while they're giving you the shot. Or if it's afterwards, tell me how it went. Tell me how it felt to have me sitting there with you while we did this. I wish I could be there in person because I know if you get that shot, you've just done something to help save this country, to help save the people of this country. And I would be so grateful and so much in debt to you that in this dark time, you did something that was full of light and you are willing to take a risk. Yes, I understand. It is a risk. But it's such a small, insignificant risk. But to you, I know it's a big risk. And if I were to know that you did this knowing that you thought it was a big risk and you did it anyways and you did it for your children, you did it for your spouse, you did it for your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, you did it for them. And it ended up being something that you did for yourself. Man. I'd be so grateful to you for the rest of your life and my life that we pulled this off, that we contained this thing. Nobody else had to die because you took that risk. You went against even what you felt was your better judgment and you took my word for it and you took the doctor's word and the scientist's word. You took our new president's word. You can you've seen him now. This guy Biden, Uncle Joe. He's not doing anything trying to get he's not trying to get reelected at all. If anything, all the things he seems to be doing could be leading to somebody who isn't may not be reelected. He doesn't care about that. He just wants you to live. He wants me to live. He has he has this kind of corny belief in We as Americans can pull this off. Well, let's not believe that it's so corny. Let's believe that that is who we are and that is what we can do. And I want you to come back and join us as a fellow American. We are a large, diverse, noisy, cranky (laughs) people. And it's amazing we've lasted this long, democracies. Historically, don't last this long. So far, we've pulled it off. Barely. And we haven't pulled it off hardly for any period of time when you think about how many women, black Americans, and others couldn't vote, couldn't participate, Native Americans, Muslims, eh, just go down the list. The backstory here isn't too good. But here we are. And if we ever do want to actualize the so called dream, then we all have to be alive to make it happen. I just wanted to close by saying that. And I wanted to encourage you to make that New York Times headline <laughs> not be true. And to put Put the put the sparkle back in President Biden's eye. He's 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 living now as if the herd immunity and this isn't gonna happen and we're not gonna really get enough people vaccinated. Let's prove him wrong. Let's whoever told him this, let's prove them wrong. Let's all get our shots. Come on. I'm with you. This is Michael Moore. This is rubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sail the ship. Ah uh-huh. ha! Chop the tree. Ooh, skip the rope. Yeah. Look at me. Oh. Yeah. All together. Oh. Black, white, green, red. Can. I we